1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? He left his musical instruments. These instruments have the power to make dreams come true. And as long as they remained in Heartland's care, humanity would live happily forever after.
Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. Today I am joined by Dr. Bill Robinson. He's so... (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if you can uh, match that one, but and Ryan Daly. I can't do the Harry Shears melody. <laughs> I, was, I, was going, I was trying for that. I was like, I can't make this work. It's Billy Shears anyway. <laughs> oh, Billy Shears. Billy You're Shears. thinking Harry <laughs> Shearer, the uh, comedian, yeah. probably. <laughs> the Simpsons voice actor. It would have made yes. this very, very interesting. Billy Shears, yeah. <laughs> Billy Shears as played by uh, by Peter Harry Frampton Shearer. in this you particular know, yeah. film. We are Today we are taking a look at Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The 1978 film, uh, and there is reasons why I have the two guests I have on this. Uh, the first is Ryan and I were talking about a movie to do, and having recently listened to Ryan and his brother uh, wax poetic about the Bee Gees, uh, I decided it was a good thing to try and do this film just so we could kind of fawn over the Bee Gees a little bit more even though I haven't seen this movie since 1978 Uh, and then knowing Bill's love of the movie Xanadu which I somewhat like in this movie too in my mind I invited Dr. Bill to come along with us and foolishly they both accepted my invite. Hey Xanadu had a plot. Oh wait this does Kind of. Well, this kind of has a plot, but it kind of doesn't. And uh, by way of background, in 1978, when this came out, I was 16 years old and a very big Beatles fan. Not so much a Bee Gees fan uh, at the time. I, I my, my love of the Bee Gees kind of developed more as the years have gone on. But when the movie was coming out, you know, having that love of the Beatles, I had to go see this and i saw this opening night in the movie theater and was quite frankly sorely disappointed by it um but i had not seen it since then and again you know with my love of the bgs kind of developing at a later age i thought i might appreciate it more watching it now so i figured let's put it out there and i watched it again and i'll save some opinions for it till later uh because i'm curious as to what your mutual experiences were on this one anybody I, you, anybody are, at all are, are, we afra- are we afraid to go first <laughs> <laughs> you no, go ahead no, I, I, uh, oh no no so, you go first <laughs> i insist when when you asked me is like how about sergeant pepper's only hearts club Band? i was like oh okay I, it's been like 20 years since i've seen it but sure yeah i i do think i saw it in the 90s and then as i started watching it last night I remembered, I, was like, I started to watch this movie 20 years ago, and I know I never finished it. <laughs> did you manage so, to finish it last night? <laughs> I did, I did. Um, yeah, it, it's, whew, so, yeah, like, going back and, like, looking at everything in this, and, and certainly, like, once you asked, I was like, oh, yeah, the Bee Gees, obviously, that was that connection, so I was watching it for that purpose, and... And there was just a lot of stuff that I forgot, like especially like cast members in this. Like once the movie opens up and you hear that narration, I swear I can remember having the same thought twice, two times, like 20 years separated. And it was the the narrator sort of mayor character is played by George Burns. And I he was 
he was really before my time in a lot of ways. Like his, when he was really, pop- I always, I've always known who he was, but I didn't see a lot of his movies. I didn't grow up with him. He just wasn't a fixture of pop culture that I was really, really familiar with. So I didn't necessarily like hear his voice and automatically click. Oh, George Burns, obviously. Both times I've watched this movie when I heard him talk, I was like, is this Peter Falk? Is this Columbo narrating this movie? <laughs> I can't. I, I don't know why. It's, I just, maybe it's the Princess Bride's influence on you. <laughs> it could be that. That very well might have been. Um, but I just remember having that thought, and then just like looking, like watching the credits. I'm like, oh, Steve Martin. I was like, I, I know I didn't get to his part the first time. I know I checked out before that. So yeah, seeing Peter Frampton and and the Bee Gees. Uh, gosh, it, it was such a weird cast to see them as as the band and it's such a 70s stable because you look at what was considered a rock icon sex symbol back then versus what you would expect today is quite different. I would tend to agree with you on that. Somebody, after I posted my Bee Gees episode, somebody posted, it's like, the the Brothers Gibb were interesting interesting in that there were like four brothers and half of them were good looking and the other half really weren't. What what kind of genetic pool did that come from? But maybe a shallow one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I uh, wasn't this movie on TV once, like broadcast TV way back. I'm sure it was at some point. Because I think that's the first time I saw it, and the first time I saw it, I did not have as much of an appreciation of the Beatles music as I do now, and I grew to have in high school because. When this came out, I would have been only about uh, maybe nine. So it wasn't really on my radar as much as other things. Um, but I remember watching it fully, I think on cable, probably when I was about maybe maybe in the early 80s. And it was strange. It was weird. And then later on, um, started to like the Beatles then saw it again and appreciated it more because now I had, you know, grown to, you know, get a little bit into the into the Bee Gees. Um, and then I watched it again only like uh, about two years ago. Oh, and it just wasn't, uh, you know, there's there's certain parts that and I found that again this time when I watched it. There's parts of this movie that I really, really like and I really enjoy. And there's parts that are just so cringeworthy that it's painful. <laughs> yes, there are. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, and I guess we'll get into that. I don't know if you're, you're going to read the plot. Uh, the, uh... Yeah, I guess for what it is. So why don't I do that now? Okay. Mr. Kite, George Burns, elderly mayor of the small yet wholesome town of Heartland, recounts the history of Heartland's celebrated marching band, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely, Heart, Lonely Hearts Club Band, brought happiness through its music, even causing troops in World War I to stop fighting. In August 1958, band leader Phineas Patrick Paul Pepper died in the middle of a performance. Sergeant Pepper left the band's magical musical instruments to the town, so long as they remain in Heartland. Its people will live happily ever after. Heartland City Hall, which contains the instruments, is topped, topped with a magical weather vane in the shape of a marching band trumpeteer. Trumpeter, excuse me. The vane foresees good and ominous developments. Sergeant Pepper left his musical legacy to his handsome and good-hearted grandson, Billy Shears, played by Peter Frampton. Billy forms a new Lonely Hearts Club band with his three best friends, brothers Mark, Dave, and Bob Henderson, the Bee Gees. Billy's charming but avaricious half-brother, Dougie, Paul Nicholas, 
serves as the band's manager. Heartland loves the new band, with a little help from my friends. And soon, Big Deal Records president B.D. Hoffler, Donald Pleasance, invites them to Hollywood with the promise of a record deal. The band accepts, here comes the sun. Billy bids farewell to his home town girlfriend, Strawberry Fields, played by Sandy Farina. Once in Hollywood, BD gets the naive band to sign an exploitive contract by plying them with drugs and alcohol. He gets sexy singers Lucy, Diane Steinberg, and the Diamonds, Starguard, to seduce Billy and the Hendersons. Hitting it off with Lucy, Billy all but forgets about Strawberry. The band quickly succeeds with hit records and sold-out shows. Meanwhile, villainous Mr. Mustard, Frankie Howard, and his henchman, Brute, his henchman, The Brute, drive to Heartland in their computer and robot-equipped van. Mustard gets his orders via computer from the mysterious FVB, who directs him to steal the magical instruments from City Hall. Mustard is commanded to keep the drum and distribute the other instruments among FVB and its affiliates. Without the instruments, Heartland, now under Mustard's control, quickly degenerates into a hotbed of vice and urban decay. Strawberry travels to Hollywood, she's leaving home, where she finds Billy and the band at a recording session. She tells them of Heartland's plight. The band and Strawberry steal Mustard's van. They use its computer to locate the stolen instrument. They recover the comet from the deranged, money-driven, anti-aging specialist, Dr. Maxwell Edison, played by Steve Martin. They recover the tuba from mind-controlling cult leader Father Son, played by Alice Cooper. They find the drum still in Mustard's van. However, the computer malfunctions before they can find locate the final missing instrument, the saxophone, which remains in the hands of FVB. As Heartland continues to deteriorate, the, ba- the band plans a benefit concert to save the town, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. BD, Lucy, and Dougie go along with the plan, exploiting the situation for financial gain. Dougie and Lucy, who have bonded over their shared love of music, plot to run off the show's proceeds. They hide ba- hide bags of money in Mustard's van while Billy, Strawberry, and the Hendersons are watching Earth, Wind, and Fire perform at the benefit. Mustard and the Brute suddenly arrive and take back the van, which also contains the recovered instrument. They also kidnap Strawberry, with whom Mustard has fallen in love from afar, when I'm 64. Mustard drives off with Dougie, Lucy, Strawberry, and the money hidden on board. Billy and the Hendersons see the van leave and pursue it in the town's hot air balloon. Mustard drives to FBB's headquarters, where the future villain band plans to take over the world. This Orwellian hard rock group, Aerosmith, contrasts the wholesomeness of Sgt. Pepper's band. FVB is described as the evil force that would poison young minds, pollute the environment, and subvert the democratic process. They perform in militaristic uniforms on a high-platform stage, made to look like stacks of money, accompanied by uniformed youth-twirling flags. To turn Strawberry into a mindless groupie, FVP chains her up on stage while the band plays Come Together and the lead singer Sal, played by Steven Tyler, fondles her. Dougie and Lucy are also tied up and forced to watch. Billy and the Hendersons arrive and engage FVB in hand-to-hand combat. Sal gets the upper hand against Billy, but Strawberry pushes him away, In the process, she falls from the stage to her death. The town of Heartland, now cleaned up, holds an elaborate funeral for Strawberry. 
Golden slumbers slash carry that weight. The depressed Billy attempts to get Strawberry off his mind, the long and winding road. When he can't, the Hendersons worry for him a day in the life. Billy attempts suicide by jumping from a rooftop. Before he can hit the ground in the form of a deus ex machina, the magical weather vane on top of City Hall comes to life as Sergeant Pepper, Billy Preston. Wielding magical lightning bolts, Pepper catches Billy, get back, Pepper dances through the town square, transforming Mustard and the Brute into a bishop and monk. Mustard's van is transformed into a Volkswagen Beetle. Dougie and Lucy are transformed into a priest and a nun. Strawberry is restored to life and happily embraces Billy. Sergeant Pepper transforms the band members' morning suits into shining new uniforms. In the finale, the cast appears with numerous celebrities in a tribute to the the original Beatles album cover. And that's the end of this... I, I, I hesitate and to use the word film. And you said there wasn't a much of a plot. <laughs> There's, it, there really isn't, despite the fact that they go on and on and on with it. I mean, it's it's almost like a child's story, really. They, uh, they, you know, no, none of the characters have any spoken line. Well, there's a reason for that. Because none of them can act? Uh, <laughs> that would be pretty much it. That's why they did a lot of voiceover with uh, with, with George Burns. I think one of one of the things was the acting and the accents, so they were kind of like, eh, yeah, let's let's let George do some talking. Now, watching this, I, I feel like it's a combination of trying to recreate what I. It's not even that I think it's a great movie, but I think they're trying to recreate Tommy by the Who, the rock opera, but trying to do it with the sensibilities musically of 1978 when you had you know the disco invasion and Saturday Night Fever had been so big so you know I th- I think that's that's what we're playing with here and honestly the thing that really surprised me was my familiarity and my knowledge of Peter Frampton is mostly from the album Frampton Comes Alive which I think is probably a very common uh, yeah, I, that's, you're probably not unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And based upon that album, I think of Frampton as kind of a rocker. And yet, the way he's presented in this movie, he seems like more like a, you know, like a, a, a you know, a guy who should be on the cover of some Teen Idol magazine. Uh, you know, yeah, not like so much Teen a rocker. Beat, yeah, Tiger Club. Uh, you know, the the acting obviously leaves, I think, leaves a lot to be desired on all fronts mm-hmm. I, I don't I, I, i'm pretty sure there's not one real solid performance in in the bunch you know, george, 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 burns, george burns gives a professional yeah. performance but in well, all seriousness I'll george burns this. was never much of an actor he was more of a comedian yeah he was just george I'll, burns I'll steve, in it steve martin does not mail in his performance but i'm also <sighs> but sure he doesn't want to be remembered for this one yeah <laughs> i would that, agree that is that is where for me that is where that was like the first really cringe where I'm just like, ooh, can you well, it, tone it down a little bit? To me, not dissimilar from his appearance in uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. I like that better though. I think the, I you know I I think the present presentation. I can't say the music is better because this is great music by the you know great Beatles songs in here. Oh, it's a great uh, little song, but I can't stand. But the performances when... are leave us something to be desired. Well, yeah, I mean, there's. There's a lot going on here, and and obviously it's. I, I think the film is severely limited by the performances because of what the stars are capable of doing and what they're asked to be doing. It's also it was perhaps too ambitious a project for for what's involved because for, rock operas are kind of weird animals. 
Um, Absolutely. Because you you're you're making you're usually attempting to tell a a story with very high stakes, very like uh, you know serious because you're asking the audience to invest in people who basically this idea that rock and roll music or popular music whatever is going to save the world literally in some cases mm-hmm. that this music that we love can save the world and it's and on one hand it's that's a very silly <laughs> request uh, for your audience but at the other hand it's like you know what that's the genre that's kind of that's the what you're paying the ticket for you're going to go along with a silly story and if you're going to invest that much in this story where this rock band is going to stop you know the world or there are magic musical instruments that can save this town and there are robots in this like camper van that go around like there's just a there's weirdness in the story and like cults and everything but it's kind of like you know what if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Are you going to accept the premise that this is just kind of a staple of this weird genre or you're not? And if you do, then there's a lot of kind of charming campiness to this movie. Oh, I but... buy into this because, I mean, again, I'm the guy that likes Xanadu where a muse mm-hmm. comes down and is an inspiration for a guy painting um, album covers and yeah. his ELO music to back it up. And Olivia <laughs> John. So, and, and I think it's a testament to, the music that they're using, I think, is what pulls the nose up a little bit on this. Even with some of the cringy performances, it's the it's it's the music they're performing that I think transcends the I don't want to say bad acting. It's but transcendent. Bill yeah. Robinson, transcendent. <laughs> you just see it up on the marquee. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I? I don't know what's happening. You got that from what he said? <laughs> it's like- <laughs> hey, sometimes you gotta pull what you can out of it. What do you guys actually think of the music? Not the Beatles catalog and the albums we're talking about. Sgt. Pepper's and a lot of the songs come from Abbey Road too. Forget about the, the original source material. Yeah, like what do you think of the songs in the movie? If you take the original catalog, you take this song list, uh, and you just put together a DVD or excuse me, a CD of the Beatles performing these songs. I'll sit and I'll listen through it every song, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. Um, when I have heard these songs, and I haven't heard all of them, but some of them I've heard since the movie. Uh, I'll give you two examples: is "Come Together" by Aerosmith or "Got to Get oh, you Through My that. Life" by Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'll hear them usually in a vacuum. Like I'll he- I'll hear "Come Together" as part of an Aerosmith CD, and it'll be six Aerosmith songs in a row, and one of them will be "Come Together." Or the same thing for "Got to Get You Into My Life" with Earth, Wind, and Fire. And when they're presented that way, I find them to be almost charming cover versions of the songs. In a small sampling, I'm fine with almost any one of the songs. I mean, I could do without, you know, George Burns doing for the, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite so much. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, he does fixing a hole. Yeah, that's right, he does fixing a hole. You're I'm right. Fixing a hole where the rain. Oh, sorry. Yes, and you'd almost sound like him. That was very good. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? With 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 the songs that are actually performed by real singers, uh, mm-hmm. any one of them, I'm kind of okay with to hear in a vacuum but when you just start piling it on and you see it in this whole movie by the end of it it's like yeah i've had enough i need to cleanse my soul with the beatles performing these songs well i do like the last one when when billy preston i do like when he comes back at the end doing uh doing get back which is billy preston on the original version which is kind of cool yeah so i mean 
he kind of pulls it up at the end. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Thank you, Billy. Thank you for coming back. No, no, no. Stop. Everybody's singing together. No. Do you want to <laughs> do want... stop there? <laughs> Ryan, what, what, did, what did you think of the music? And that this comes just again by way of background. If, if you get a chance to listen on the uh, Fire and Water Network uh, to Ryan's discussion of the Bee Gees, uh, I recommend it highly, especially if you have any any affection for that band, because I thought it was a terrific show. Uh, and having that by way of background, what did you think of the music in this? Mostly, I didn't like it. There were a few exceptions. Well, um, I shouldn't. When I say I didn't like it, that's not me saying I hated it and this was terrible. That's not what I'm saying. Um, and there it's were the truth. Few... I'm just not saying it. <laughs> yeah, there were a few notable exceptions, as you mentioned, uh, the Earth, Wind, and Fire song, the Aerosmith cover, and everything like that. Um, I'd like to get back at the end. Uh, also, right before I liked um, Barry Gibb singing, um, "You're going to care that," or uh, what is? Uh, carry that weight. Day in the sure. life. Did, no, it's you're going to carry that weight, and what's the song that leads into it? Golden, Golden slumbers. slumbers. Golden slumbers. Yeah, thank you. Um, so there were a few of those like that, but in a lot of cases, I felt like if you're going to if you're going to cover Beatles songs first, that's again that's very ambitious. That's a tough request because 99 times out of 100, you're not going to do better than the original source material here. So. I think the alternative, if you want to make it a staple, if you want to make it your own and really compare, you at least have to try and do something different with it, do something different compositionally. And there were a couple songs, like just the lead-off with um, the first couple songs with uh, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts and then and then Billy Shears and everything. I was like, these songs sound too similar to the originals, but not as good. So Almost it's like somebody it, singing it off-key. Yes, and that even just though the Bee Gees are not off key, but you still you're like, <laughs> I know what I should be hearing, but I can't rectify but, it in my mind. You're used like to the, the song yeah. in a different key, so it makes it sound like, although I'm sure they're they're hitting all their notes just as they should, it almost sounds like they're off key because it's not what you're accustomed to. Although and, they're playing it at the same pace and kind of with the same arrangement. Yeah, and and whether. I mean, the, the, this might seem unfairly harsh, but to me, like what what it planted in my mind was, it gave me a sense of that this is an amateur act or something like that. That these guys mm. like aren't like a ready. Cover band. Like yeah, like a, like a cover band that's not ready for prime time, and that immediately just like put me in the thing where I was like, oh man, now like they're in a hole that they're going to have to climb their way out of, and once they get to, I want you, she's so heavy with Donald Pleasance like doing the spoken word version of it at first. I was like, how long is this movie? I'm pretty sure that was where I checked out the first time, back in 1998 or something when I watched it. Um, so there were just, ah, uh, there, there was a lot where I'm, and this is going to be a, a weird comparison again, but like I, I think of like the, the TV show Glee when that was on. I watched the first season and I really enjoyed and would defend the first half of season one because they took popular rock and roll or pop songs that were well-known and beloved. And if they didn't improve them, they at least put them in a different context. They rearranged them. They put a different spin, uh, um, whether they made it acoustic or a piano ballad, they kind of changed these things up. And I was like, okay, you're at least trying something innovative with this song. And when I was watching this, I'm like, a lot of these songs, they're not really trying that. And if they do, if they are trying something really radically different, it's not working. And I wondered, is is the reason because they were too beholden to the material? Because they wanted you to recognize that this was this great Beatles song and they couldn't break away from it? So I, I don't know. Again, 
it, it might have just been the the premise of trying to do this just like kind of like hamstrung them but uh Which, overall i think i think a big stumbling a big thing that keeps this movie from being jaws in my mind is just uh, like most of the music i find kind of weak Especially, especially when you when you look at it in a movie where there is no sp- spoken word to speak of uh, by the main actors. So, uh, but just an interesting quote on on uh, the Wikipedia page. It says, when asked about the film in ni- in a 1979 interview, George Harrison expressed his sympathy for Stigwood, Frampton, and the Bee Gees, acknowledging that they had all worked hard to achieve success before making Sgt. Pepper. He said of Frampton and the Bee Gees, I think it's damaged their images, their careers, and they didn't need to do that. It's just like the Beatles trying to do the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones can do it better. So he's basically saying, you know, it's foolish of you to try and do our songs better than we do them. Yeah. So which uh, one that I thought did work that was different was the uh, was when they had the robots. Because it kind of reminded, or it seemed like a precursor to Daft Punk. <laughs> yeah, actually, they looked like that. Yeah, yeah but I, I can't remember which. Did they do the the opening to She's Leaving Home? I think. Can't remember which one they did. Uh, She's leaving. Uh, the, the Bee Gees and John. I can't see who it cuts off. Mm. Uh, Bee Gees, yeah. Jay McIntosh, and John Wheeler. Mm. I don't know who they are. And, and and like you're saying, where where you know, do they try to do something different? Uh, one that I thought didn't work. I couldn't stand Alice Cooper doing his song. I was just like, ah, I know you can do better than this. You're killing me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, most of them are are subpar versions of the songs. I, I can I can honestly say there's not one song in here that I prefer to the original. I think not that that's going out on a limb to speak of. Uh, and then there's only a handful, like I said, that I'll, I'll find myself listening to now, and it's in a different context. So, you know, performance-wise, uh, you know, it, it just it it just all seemed very light and unfilling. You know, just superficial. I think maybe a good word for it. The movie, you know, never felt like it developed a story. Uh, none of the characters felt particularly compelling. Uh, you, you never, I, I was never, I never felt fully engaged. I think, I think that's probably the best way to say it. And you mean, that's, you mean you weren't, you weren't wondering about the brute story? No. You know who the brute what is, right? The fruit brute? No, the actor. <laughs> you didn't recognize him? Uh, let's see. Who's the Bruce? I, I, I always think of him as the giant in Twin Peaks, and then he was also in the movie versions of the Adams Family. He was um, Lurch. And he was oh, Mr. Okay. Holm in Star Trek. He was uh, yes. locked on as uh, Footman. Yeah. So now he, he, I just punched on his page. His name is Karel Strukian. Strukian? Yeah. And uh, he's 71 years old, which would have made him 30 at the time that he played the Brute. And this was that was his, this was his first uh, acting gig because like, what was it? Somebody saw him uh, on the street and it says, mm. "We need to get you into a movie." <laughs> he was also he was also in uh, the Witches of Eastwick. He was like Jack Nicholson's manservant. He was in Ewoks: The Battle of It for Endor. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I had not realized that, that was him, Bill. What? Yeah. I'm turning God. in my I'm turning in my Deep Space Nine cred card. That's it. You're done. So yeah, uh, 
So the final song, and Bill, you I know you were looking at the list of guests that they have on that. Uh, there's quite a few. I think the one I found just most off-putting, just to, every time they zoom in on her, I would think, Wait, 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 wait. Carol Channing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just bothered me to have her in there. It really did. And she, she looked as old then as she... <laughs> she didn't she never aged yeah she was just timeless she died she died this past year 2019 yeah. at 97 years old she looked better than johnny winter well johnny winter never never looked all that good uh but there's i mean some there's there is some, are some names in there that i find interesting jack bruce from cream mm-hmm. uh keith carradine yeah. He, yeah he was like hey i know that guy i was like yeah, Dr. John. Hart, uh, isn't it? Uh, Curtis mm-hmm. Mayfield. Robert Palmer. Etta James. At last. <laughs> Leif, Leif Garrett. Peter Noon. Cousin Brucey. Jose Feliciano. Frankie Valley. I mean, Wolfman Jack. <laughs> oh, he was easy to spot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a lot of them that were easy. Some of them were a little more hidden than others, but... Uh, there, there were definitely, you know, watching it through, there were a lot of people who I could pick out without the list in front of me. Shana na. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, sometimes you you give a movie another shot, figuring, okay, there's there's two ways that you do it. Sometimes you love a movie when you're a kid and you see it as an adult and you're like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, it was all nostalgia driven and nothing else. And then on other occasions, you give a movie a second chance and sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes the men come back. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, this this one, you know, my my feelings about it were not particularly better than they were 41 years ago. Do uh, here's here's a question then: with a better cast, better performers, better production value, would this could this story, this concept of making a basically a rock opera movie based on these Beatles songs. Could this be redeemable? Would you want to see somebody else attempt this? Like with new, new pop stars, new singers. And, and so like right, right now, like yeah. if, if we were to recast this, I yeah. don't think I'd want to see it with new pop stars. I, I really think I would be very turned off by that, even more turned off well, than I am I by mean, this. But if, if yeah. you did it with unknowns, playing the parts, I think it can be put together correctly. Uh, you know, I think they've had a lot more success with this t- type of thing uh, in more recent years on Broadway, doing shows like, you know, the Jersey Boys, where you're telling mm-hmm. the uh, the history mm-hmm. of the Four Seasons, and, you know, most of it is through songs. You had Beautiful, which was the Carol King story. You had Moving Out, which was a Billy Joel, yeah. fictional Billy Joel story. It was not, a, it was not the story of his life. Um, you know, but but they've done this now. They did Mamma Mia with the songs from ABBA. I think they've had success with it over the years, and I think you could probably look at those Broadway shows and put together something. Now that all that said, uh, Mamma Mia and Jersey Boys were not great movies, although they are terrific Broadway shows. So you'd still have to you'd still have to go away as to make a good good movie out of it. I don't know who thought Pierce Brosnan could sing. Oh, sorry. I guess I'm showing my uh, show tunes card there. <laughs> Have you guys? Uh, it's it's. I think I've only seen it once, but I've listened to the uh, the album, although not in a long time. For Across the Universe, it was another. I did not see it. I heard yeah, I was, that was I, not bad. I couldn't remember the name, but I knew I was I was thinking about that when Paul was talking. I couldn't think of the name of the movie. 
I heard that that wasn't bad at all, and I would I would be open because to that, seeing it. That I think was a lot of like a I don't think there was like a few stars and in a mixture of unknowns. Um, like well, yeah, Bono was yeah. in it. Uh, Joe Cocker. The the female it became became a star. She's in a bunch of she's in, in a, a bunch of uh, HBO stuff now. She's in Westworld. I can't think of her name. Evan now. Evan Evan uh, Rachel Wood. Yeah. Yeah. She, so now there, there was a movie. that. There was a movie this past year, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it was called Yesterday, uh, and it's it's about a uh, I think like a young guy who's in a Beatles cover band, and uh, is that where he, he goes to an alternate like, universe? He, he, yeah, and he meets, wakes up in a world. He wakes Lennon. up. Nobody remembers the Beatles. Yeah, because John Lennon was what, what he no he wasn't killed or he he did something different or something wasn't that it? I, I never I haven't seen the movie yet, but I saw the trailer for it, and I just I, the the thing I got a kick out of was, you know, eventually this person sets himself up that he's writing all these songs that he remembers, and so he presents Hey Jude to them, and they're like, No, no, you got to change it. It should be Hey Dude. <laughs> and I, I just I found that to be amusing, and I I said, Oh, I got to see this movie at some point, but I still have not seen it yet. But yeah, I I, I think you know you can make a uh, you can make a movie with Beatles songs, uh, and I think you could do it well but i don't think they've done it yet and although or at least i didn't think they did it in this particular sergeant peppers because i haven't seen across the universe and i haven't seen yesterday so maybe those are better maybe this will be a trilogy <laughs> maybe i'll have you guys back <laughs> torture you some more with these movies <laughs> keep watching what do, what do you think uh you know ryan since you presented the question do you think they can do it and what do you think they'd have to do differently to try and make it um, a better, a, a better soundtrack in terms of better cover versions, uh, would, would make the difference. Um, uh, I, 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 well, I think, I think part of it is the, I mean, even as you were describing the plot, it's so weird. Like you, you almost don't get that, like what is written in that summary from just watching the movie because of the lack of dialogue. You're just relying on the text the lyrics of the songs to convey this narrative which isn't really apparent um and, and like i don't know i mean the the albums are like songs that i like harmonically and phonetically but i've never really done a deep dive on sergeant peppers and like really kind of like embraced it and tried to analyze like the, the concept and and what this is all about so i don't know if like the characters and the the kind of setup intrinsic in that in those lyrics if they lend themselves to this kind of story so i think i think it could be done better i let me let me put it that way i definitely think the movie could be improved upon in a cover a a new modern remake could improve i don't know that it's worth it (laughs) (laughs) that, that money and that talent can be used elsewhere um so I, I mean, I don't know that this is a story that needs to be told, um, but well, I don't know. Even it, even the Beatles had mixed level of mixed levels of success when they tried yeah. to put their songs onto film. I mean, A Hard Day's Night I think is a terrific movie. Help is a pretty good movie. Uh, Magical Mystery Tour is indecipherable and horrible. Uh, Let It Be is kind of sad because it's except for when they're actually playing, it's kind of the uh, you know. The, the, the disintegration of a great band mm-hmm. uh so you know there's the, their level of success has been uh varied yeah. so 
to give other people their music and try and say to try and do it, you know, it's not an easy task, put it that way. And as you said, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's worth it because I don't know that it would resonate with today's audiences to the extent that it would need to to turn it into a hit. Mm-hmm. Well, I just did a quick skimming of Across the Universe and it's got its own plot. It doesn't it's got like 33 different Beatles songs spread throughout it. So uh, I might be interested in finding this. Well, yeah, I, I don't think it was necessarily like that. The movie, the story itself could have been done without being a musical. I think they just kind of like threw that in there as a as an added element. To, as as much as I recall, to the best of my recollection, it wasn't necessarily in adaptation of of the music necessarily. Well, so I'm going to just assume that you guys are not rating this as a Jaws. I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb with that. No. And I'm going to say, where do you guys think it falls among the other three categories? Mm. It's not Jaws four. I mean, there's no. there's enough charm, there's enough heart, and there's enough effort into this, and just kind of for almost campy, like like just scrutinize this, like what, it, like just in terms of that value, it's it's well beyond Jaws four. I don't think it it rises to the to the level of Jaws two though. I, I have this kind of fixed at a Jaws three. There's some there's some good, there's some stuff in here that's like kind of worth watching and studying as a curiosity. There's some good music. There's some legitimately good music in here. Um, but overall it's it's weird and not necessarily always entertaining weird. Sometimes it's just weird. Um, so I yeah, I have it a, a pretty fixed Jaws three. Doctor Bill? Uh yeah, there's it's it's a three that occasionally will bump up, you know, crest above the wave and maybe peek into the two territory, but it quickly dives back down into the depths like the like the killer shark that it is. Um I do have to say that that from since the first time I I, I saw this and every time I actually listen to, you know, the uh She's So Heavy I always see that spinning bed in the shape of a record (laughs) (laughs) that is stuck in my head. Keeps spinning and spinning because it's just that actually that visual actually goes well with that song for some reason. Mm -hmm. It just encapsulates it. Great. So but yeah, it's a it's a it's a three. It's a Jaws three with a cresting into twos momentarily. I hate to be the I, biggest naysayer, uh, uh-oh. but I'm actually going to give it a Jaws 4. Uh, I think this movie often, if, if, unless you're a huge Beatles fan who feels you have to stay with this, I think it, it gives you adequate temptation to turn it off very often during the film. <laughs> um, I, I, I think there are some points where it rises up, as you say, Bill, but I think it rises up to Jaws 3, where there's some entertaining sequences in there. But I don't think it's enough to save the movie on a whole. And I think I got to, as much as I love the Beatles, and anybody who's listened to me long enough knows that I that I love their music. But uh, I, and I, I just I have to put it in as Jaws 4. See, I would give it almost an extra grade just because of Donald Pleasance's look. <laughs> like, like the wig the the facial hair the shirt and everything like that like as soon as i saw him i was like oh don't don't sing donald but i i'm digging i'm liking your vibe whatever it's going on yeah just keep shoving that cocaine in front of them and get them to sign that like miles oh, long and that's contract. so that's so dark too they're really just i mean just 
and there's in some of the trivia that you know one of the what was it one of the BGs was concerned because it's like with all the actual drugs that were on the set. I mean, <laughs> it's possible that those actually were drugs in those scenes. I don't I don't remember who said it. I heard it like from a comedian or something. It's like it was the 70s. Cocaine wasn't bad for you back then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just on Wikipedia, they have. One section says, other films released during the late 70s disco and jukebox movie musical craze. Saturday Night Fever, Thank God It's Friday, which had a young Jeff Goldblum in it, by the way. Skate Town USA, I think that may have been, uh, what's the name, uh, from The Exorcist. Uh, Linda Blair? Linda Blair, yeah. I think she may have been in that. Either her or... Oh, Scott Bayo, Flip Wilson, Maureen McCormick. This is Skate Town? Yeah, the, uh, Ron Paolo. Okay, Ruth I'm thinking Buzzy, of the movie then. Patrick Swayze. Oh, my God. Then The Apple, which I never heard of. Xanadu. Yeah. Can't, can't Stop the Music. Well, that was the Village People one. Yeah. And Fame. Bruce Jenner was in that, too, I think. The Apple. I think that might have been like a weird Gollum Globus movie or something. It was, yeah. It was a Gollum <laughs> Globus movie. That... Okay, I haven't seen it, but I remember Rob reviewing that on like his Golan Globus special for uh, the Film and Water podcast. That sounds like a trip. That sounds like Catherine a really Mary weird... Stewart. Oh, I remember she was in uh, Night of the Common, if I remember correctly. Oh, Ugh. So I guess. Oh wait, she she didn't even have her own singing voice. Somebody else did her singing in the Apple. Why that little cheat? Now, without without uh, giving a review of it, uh, Ryan, have you seen Xanadu? I have not, actually. Because I have been telling Bill I will have him on to review that one, and since it does have a certain kinship to this movie, I thought if you were interested, when we cover that, you're welcome to come back. If, if you give me a heads up, if you give me enough time, I will watch it, and I will come back for that. Okay, so... I have the Blu-ray. I'm not sure exactly when we're going to do it, but the next time this trio will be together as a trio <laughs> will be to cover Xanadu. Woohoo! And then maybe in a few years we'll do Cats, which comes out this weekend. Oh, God. No, no rush, no rush. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Cats on Broadway and really did not like it. I'm just on a downer trip today. What can well, I tell gave, you? You gave this one a Jaws 4 and you asked us to watch it again. So. I know. Well, and, and I did give you the background that I had not seen it since 1978 and was trying to give it a second chance, hoping that I'd like it this time. Oh, and I well, just stepped right into it because I, I was all like, oh, yeah, man. Oh, I'm ready. Oh, yeah, this is great. And yeah, that was before I was only like about 20 minutes into the film. And then I'm just like, my God, what did I redo? <laughs> Well, I have now watched it one and a half times, and I don't think I will watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't see myself putting this on any time in the near future. But you know, if anybody has seen this movie and disagrees, please let us know because I, I, I think I make it clear I do respect all opinions, even when they do disagree with me. And I'd be curious to see if somebody really liked it and why. Um, if you do, if you agree with us, you know you could write in also. But uh, I'm I'm mostly curious to know about the people who disagree on this one. Uh, you know you can write in at uh, jawspodcast at gmail dot com. In the meanwhile, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Would you stand up and walk out on me?
sing you a song and I'll try not to sing out of key. I get by with a little help from my friends. Mm, I get high with a little help from my friends. Yeah, gonna try with a little help from my friends. Bye.